0: Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Michelle Emerson. And Bridget Spackman. And we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. It's summer, which means it's time for another
1: book review. Every summer, we read a productivity book together. So in today's episode, we are going to share our honest thoughts. We're always honest, but you know, brutally honest
0: thoughts on the book, Deep Work by Cal Newport. But first, we're gonna hear a TSH from summer. Now, just transparency here. This is an old TSH from 2020, but still it was worth a mention because it just fit with this podcast episode. So uh, Summer's TSH says books. I don't want to put them down and I can and I can throw off my productivity levels. I've switched almost exclusively, exclusively, words are hard this morning to audiobooks for this reason. Michelle? Well, first of all, I just realized
1: not only is it about books, and this episode is about books, but her name is Summer, and it's Summer. Cute. (laughs) Cute. So, what's funny is I would not have been able to relate to this in the past, but (laughs) this year, because I am on a reading spree, I'm up to 16 books that I have read. Wow. I do understand this. And just recently, I ordered another book. Not that I need another one because I already have, (laughs) you know, a bunch in the tank. But my coach recommended one to me and I ordered it and it came on Friday and I wanted to start it. But then I was like, Michelle, once you start it, that's like two days that you're dedicating to it and you can't afford that right now. (laughs) So I, Summer, I completely understand.
0: Yeah, I will say that I feel like the same as Michelle. I think specifically during the school year, I don't have the opportunity and ability to be able to read as many books. So I rely on my students to be able to read books with them, you know, so I can gain more more information or learn about different topics or just read fictional stories that I think are interesting. Um, but I will say I do love audiobooks for that reason, so that if I know that I'm going to be you know, having a really tough week at work, and I have a lot going on as far as productivity-wise, I know that during my walks, I can put on that audiobook, and it allows me to still get that little taste of a book without it completely throwing off the rest of my schedule. What's funny... Okay, first of all, I've used that
1: term twice already this podcast. We are not off to a good start. But last night on the way to – well, I guess it was in the afternoon. We were on the way to lunch, and Billy and I were talking about how I am not an audiobook person. I've tried. I can't – I can't focus on it. You're not a Kindle book person either. No. I am physical book with a highlighter if it's a nonfiction yeah. book.
0: <laughs> and see, and I am strictly like Kindle for the most part. Now, there are some books that I've recently purchased that are not available on Kindle. And I'm like, mm. oh, <laughs> so now Tough sitting, life. it is so hard.
1: <laughs> well, it's also interesting that you bring up how in the summer that tends to be when you read more. And I think that's true for a lot of teachers because You'll have a more flexible schedule compared to the school year, and that's why we started doing a book review during this time, because we felt like more teachers could kind of join in with us. So this year's book review, or this summer's book review, because we also do one in January, by the way, but we both just finished reading Deep Work, Rules for Focused Success in a Distracted World by Cal Newport. We are going to dive into our thoughts in just a second, but first, Bridget. I had suggested this book for us to read because I heard it recommended on a podcast. So I have two questions for you. Okay. Had you heard of this book before I brought it up? And then either way, what was your intention going into it or like your reason for reading it besides, you know, recording this podcast episode?
0: <laughs> yeah. So to answer the first one, no, I had never heard of it. Um, this was a new author, new title I had never come encounter, I've never encountered him before in any other books. But I think the thing that really drew me into this book or the intention that I had was the title caught my Mm. attention i said attention twice and that really bothers me <laughs> so but the the fact that it the title was deep work it really drew me in because i'm like oh okay i have kind of my own perspective of what i think deep work would end up meaning but what is it that cal Newport views as deep work and what are those strategies that he sees being able to do it because i do believe That we live in a lifestyle where we are so on the go all the time. Um, And yeah, so I, I, I definitely was intrigued by that title overall.
1: Yeah, I kind of had the same thoughts when I was listening to that podcast. And it actually was a video podcast. So I was watching it on YouTube while I was cleaning dishes. And usually when I'm in dishes mode, I'm getting all the dishes done so that I can turn off the water and dry off my hands. But when the book was mentioned, I literally stopped, dried off my hands, paused the video, went into my phone and like ordered it on Amazon in that moment because it just, it just really resonated with me. And I feel like the whole distractions and not getting as much done as I could. It's a personal problem, but I think it's also a problem like in society, but you know, we'll dive into that. Oh my gosh, you're really good at getting things done.
0: Well, I have been better
1: since reading this book. Spoiler alert. I have been much better. I
0: was going to say there were so many times while I was reading, I was like, oh my God, that's Michelle. That's Michelle. Michelle can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I
1: mean, we will jump into it, but I will say I, as I was reading it, I was like, I'm This is a skill that I have. It can still be very much improved, but... It, it fits well with my
0: obsessive personality. Yes, yes. So, okay, so we're going to give you a quick overview of this book before we start to jump in and giving you our thoughts and everything with it. So, the book was published in 2016, and deep work is really becoming increasingly rare and yet increasingly valuable. So, uh, the author likes to describe deep work and shallow work. Those are the t- two types of focuses that we can have. And so, deep work work is categorized as professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration. Ooh, that's hard for so many people. <laughs> mm-hmm. That really just push your cognitive abilities to their limit. And cognition is just the way that you think. That's all that fancy word is. So these efforts create new value improve your skill at something and are very hard to replicate. So someone else trying to perform the same deep work that you're performing, it's really hard for them to do because this is unique to you and the way that you think. Now shallow work is defined as non-cognitively demanding. So you're not really doing a ton of thinking. Logistical style tasks. So these are gonna be ones that you can perform while being distracted. So like when we would cut out lamination while also watching Netflix. That's a really good example of shallow work. And these efforts tend to not create much new value in the world and are easy to replicate.
1: So as the title suggests, this book aims to help you master the skill of deep work because it is very much a skill that has to be practiced and refined. And more specifically, how to do that in a distracted world, which Is obvious to all of us that we are in. (laughs) Now, the book is broken up into two parts. So, part one is the idea, and it has three chapters that are really meant to convince you that you need to be doing more deep work. So, chapter one is deep work is valuable, chapter two is deep work is rare, and then chapter three is deep work is meaningful then cal newport follows it up with part two which is the rules so he breaks it into four rules which are work deeply embrace boredom quit social media and drain the shallows now as we go through this book review we're going to kind of talk about it chapter by chapter we figured that would be the easiest way to kind of share our thoughts so we're going to take a short break and when we return bridget is going to kick us off
0: I don't know about you, Michelle, but summer is my favorite time to try out new things. Lately, I've been trying to schedule more deep work time into my day. We are totally on the same wavelength here. I have been trying some new
1: recipes and meal prep ideas I've seen online because summer is when I feel more relaxed
0: and willing to try new things. Exactly. So this is your reminder that we have a digital planner available for you to try out for free before you make any purchases.
1: Yes, consider this our personal invite to you to dive into the
0: world of digital planning completely risk-free. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. The free planner is available for download at teachingonthedouble.com forward slash free planners. Now, if you love it as much as we
1: know you will, you can then grab a fully dated version of the digital planner with even more templates and tools in our store at teachingonthedouble.com slash store. But regardless, we hope you take advantage of this free offering. And now
0: back to the episode. So Michelle, I need to know really quick, what were your overall thoughts? Are we allowed to do that now or do we want to wait? What were your overall thoughts of the book? Okay. So when I started reading it,
1: the very beginning didn't hook me, which I don't love about books. Okay. Bridget is agreeing. I can tell by her hand motions. Do do you want to add in there?
0: Oh my gosh, girl. There were so many times where I'm like, why are we talking about Carl Jung and the way that he's traveling to this like isolated tower building that I'm imagining in my head where he is on vacation, quotes, but yet it's not vacation. I just struggled so much when he would start to talk really in depth about the very specific jobs Of certain people, I would struggle to keep up. And he uses a lot of big words. And apparently that's like a turnoff for me. (laughs) Yes, I will say
1: like it wasn't a super easy read. I had to put in a lot of thought as I was reading it. And it is very example heavy. And a lot of the examples you're like, okay, like let's move on. However, I am very happy I read the book because more than anything, it became a reminder to me that I was doing way too much shallow work and I needed to embrace deep work even though it is hard. And I feel like if I had to summarize the book in like one sentence, deep work is like the how of productivity. Mm -hmm. And I think we share a lot about the what for productivity on our podcast, but then actually executing those principles. So the idea of, okay, but how do I do that is far more difficult. And I think this book helped to illuminate some strategies for helping with that. So that's how I felt. Yeah, I
0: would completely agree with that. Again, I feel as though there were moments where I definitely struggled. This was a book that I needed to read in quiet. So when like family, kids were like up and doing stuff, I couldn't focus on it. So (laughs) it just so happened that I was waking up super early for no apparent reason. And I was able to get a lot of my reading done during that time, or I would have to go and like hide outside (laughs) on the patio in order to be able to focus. But there were moments where it, he really did hook me in and he really gained my interest with certain people. Again, I think it was how technical he got because there were certain stories about either professors or um, there was like a farmer that was in there. And those stories, I I don't know why, but they resonated with me a little bit more. So I enjoyed that. So I was going to share this later
1: on in the podcast, but maybe I'll do it now. (laughs) I had quite a few Just funny or ironic or kind of almost spooky things happen while I was reading this book. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting you said that you needed to read it in quiet because I had that same realization. When I started this book, it was a night when I had showered and Billy was cooking dinner. So I had about 15, 20 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to sit at the kitchen table and I'm going to read. However, I was so distracted because Billy's moving all over the place. Ember's following him around and yet I'm reading a book about deep work in this mm-hmm. state of distraction. And I it just was very ironic. So after that, I then basically read the rest of the book in one day, but it's when I was home by myself so I could really right. focus.
0: Right. Yeah, no. I did the same, same sort of thing. I had to read it by myself.
1: Um, the second thing was, this was just, again, an ironic kind of situation. I did love that the deep work chapter, which was like rule number one, yeah. was the longest chapter. And I'm like... He's really testing me here. He's seeing if I can put this into practice cuz <laughs> it was a very lengthy chapter, it but was. I I got through it. Um here was the spooky thing that happened. So at one point when I was reading this, there was a powerlifting meet going on. So I used that as my motivation. So I would read and then watch a segment of the powerlifting meet and then mm-hmm. they have like a break and I would read again. And that continued. At one point, while the powerlifting meet was going on, I was checking email because I didn't want it to distract me from reading. I kid you not, Bridget, there was an email from an athletic company and it was titled, Finding it Challenging to Focus? (laughs) mark.
0: I was like, Oh my gosh, oh my this gosh.
1: Goes back to our science conversation. Yes. <laughs> it was so spooky. Basically it was a release of a clothing line called Focus. And so that's where like the title came in, but it just it was a moment. And then at the very beginning of the book, he talked about uh Bill Gates and we can use this to kind of go oh, into yeah. those first few chapters, but how Bill Gates would have these like think weeks where yes. he would do a, a week getaway and I had seen a Netflix documentary called Inside Bill's Brain, all about kind of his work style slash his thought process, his creativity. It's actually an interesting documentary. But when I saw it um, in the documentary, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And it was cool to hear it mentioned in this. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know. I might need to start doing like a Think Weekend or something.
0: <laughs> well, I if you remember, like my cousin Junior and I, we had a time where we just did almost like a weekend trip to be able to hash ideas out, but also get a, get some writing done because he was working on a couple of writing projects. I was working on the book. And so we have like both literacy minds. And so it was a great opportunity for us to one, get together because we're cousins. And yes. then two, <laughs> just because it was like nice to bounce those ideas off with him. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most valuable weekends I have ever experienced. We got this little cabin in the woods, like somewhere in Pennsylvania. And it was one, like it was glorious. We got up, we would get to work, we would do what we needed to do. We would hash out, we would go our separate ways. And I see the value in, yeah. in having those, those times.
1: So that's the perfect transition. Let's go ahead and dive into each chapter.
0: So okay. the first chapter,
1: deep work is valuable. I think personally, my biggest takeaway is is that not a lot of people are able to quickly master hard things, mostly because they can't stay focused long enough to get to that level. And they're also not able to produce at an elite level. So he mentioned having like these are core abilities that we need in order to thrive. And so, again, for me, it was just kind Mm -hmm. of a good reminder of like these are skills and they're valuable skills to have.
0: Yeah, I really started to focus in on the batching and the residue. I like the way that he kind of described people who multitask and about how Mm -hmm. if you're multitasking, you almost have like a little bit of residue left over in your brain, which is just a weird visual that I had in my head. (laughs) But I thought that that was really fascinating the way that he explained it and just being able to really focus on batching. And I like that when he talked about batching, it wasn't necessarily like – Even how we talk about batching, it's like, oh, if you want to work, like, there he mentions one professor and about how this professor would do all of his courses in the fall, so Mm. that way during the summer and the spring he was able to batch and focus on, you know, writing different for different journals or focusing on other types of deep work projects. And so they mention a lot about how you can batch work, but also batch it in different ways, yeah, which I found was interesting.
1: Yeah, another kind of, I guess, just statement that he made that really stuck with me was that American culture loves what he called the prodigy storyline. So this idea of someone is just good at something from the get-go. They're like natural at it. However, he had a quote where he said, to be great at something is to be well myelinated. So he talked about how the more you practice something, the more reps you put in, your neurons in your brain are coded in myelin and how that's what helps us be able to like retain information and be able to do things faster the next time. Cause our brain can make those connections more easily. And so I always, I compare myself to people and there's a lot of times where I look at someone and it's like, well, how come they're better at that than me? And I think sometimes that prodigy storyline is like an easy, just kind of, fallback or excuse of like, well, they were just born being really good at that. And it's a reminder that no, no, no. Anyone who is great at something, especially at an elite level, they have put in the reps. They have been practicing in Mm -hmm. and out to get to that level. And so if you are listening to this and you're like, well, I'm just not productive. I'm just not good at managing my time. It's like, no, you just haven't had enough practice in order to improve that skill.
0: Yeah. I think um, the one other thing that I had for this chapter and in just one, I just need to say, this was a really hard chapter for me to get through. (laughs) This is probably the hardest one because again, he was telling so many different stories about people that I was really struggling to comprehend. And his word choice is like, whoa, um, it's on a whole nother level for me. I'm like, I teach fourth grade people like (laughs) that is where I'm at. Um, So one of the things that I really appreciated about him is that when he talks about deep work and he's pushing this idea that you need to really perform work through this deep thought process, he also comes back and he will, he will, um, I guess, tell about different what is that word that I'm looking for, where people will say, well, no, I don't think that. Um, Like devil's
1: advocate, like playing both sides. He
0: plays both sides. Because there's one point where he says, well, what about the Jack Dorseys of the world? And so Jack Dorsey was someone who helped founded Twitter. And so he talks about how Jack Dorsey cannot for the love of him perform deep work like he is always on the go he has multiple meetings always on an email has like an open seating plan for him where he invites people to come up to him whenever possible so he doesn't perform that work in isolation but he still is very very successful and so Cal does a nice job of saying yes there are people out there that are like this But it's typically people that you find in a Jack Dorsey type of position.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And how I also would argue like a lot of times those people, they're just anomalies. And as much as we would love to believe ourselves to be the anomaly, chances are we're not. And it can be easier sometimes to just blame it on that of like, well, I'm just not a person that's good at this. And it's like, okay, but have you tried? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I'm going to transition us, if that's okay with you, into the next chapter because it relates to that. So then he talks about how deep work is rare, basically meaning that a lot of people do not have the capacity to perform deep work. And as human beings, we tend to default to what is easy. And I Mm -hmm. very much find that to be true. So there were kind of two things that I jotted down for this chapter. Um, He talks about the principle of least resistance and how we ultimately choose behaviors that are easiest in the moment unless we make it a habit to remind ourselves of like the bottom line. Now he uses the bottom line in like a business sense of are we making money? Is this affecting our profits? Yeah. But I also personally will always tell myself like do what's hard now so that it can be easier down the road. Whether that has to do with like the effort I'm putting into workouts, things that I'm doing on the business end I always will remind myself, like choose hard now so it can be easy later, and that fit in with that principle of least resistance. And then the last thing that really stuck with me from this chapter was that busyness is a proxy for productivity. So basically, if you lack the clear indicators for productivity, like you can't look at your day and go, I got X, Y, and Z done, then you will... in replacing that, you'll just do a bunch of stuff so that you can go, oh, well, I answered this many emails yeah. or I whereas those things aren't part of deep work. They're shallow work, but it makes you feel good. It makes you yeah. feel like you got a lot done because you are busy. But in reality, it's just because a lot of that deep work can be hard to kind of make visible, at least in increments. Yeah.
0: No. How about I, you? I completely agree. And I didn't have a ton on there. I will be honest. When he was talking about the metric black hole Mm, I don't know what he was talking about. I don't I don't really have any idea and I had no desire to go back and try to figure it out. <laughs> Is that terrible? <laughs> well,
1: it's funny because I do remember reading that part and it was kind of confusing. I, I think like, basically That's-? what what the metric black hole, and again, this was more of a business standpoint, but right. you can find parallels. It was the idea that if if a boss can't directly tie an employee's
0: actions to like a loss of profit. Okay, that's what you were talking about earlier with your one comment, your one kind of reflection with the bottom line. Like it's easy just to kind of to sweep
1: it under the rug. And so we have to be very mindful of how those little actions can add up over time and ultimately affect like our greater scope of productivity, I guess.
0: I think uh, the one thing that I was able to really take away is this idea because it's easier. So he talked a lot about how business and how businesses right now run, right? You are constantly checking your email. You're wanting to go in and check in with other people. You're wanting to give other people whatever they need. And the reason that why we do that is because we want to ensure that our employees or, you know, again, we're looking at it from a business perspective, but you could also look at it from like a student perspective or a principal to teachers or however, but you always want to make sure that everybody else has what they need in order mm-hmm. to be able to move on with their part and you want them to feel like they are secure and they're getting answers right away. And so we live in this culture of being of being of responding and mm-hmm. having constant communication because we want to be responsive to others needs. Yeah. And it's always been then because we say, well, it's going to make it easier for them. Everything is going to make everything easier. But I love this idea where he did mention, and I don't remember the quote exactly. He said, But if you don't respond to somebody immediately, it will cause them to problem solve. And Mm -hmm. so, Michelle, I know a lot of times you and I will get emails and we'll get emails about either planners or we'll get emails about something else. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had a teacher come back when I don't respond immediately and say, "Oop, got it, figured it out. And they are going to leave it there. And it's like, that is such a great freaking connection is that when you give kids, even your students, that time to not respond to them immediately, you're allowing them to have that opportunity to problem solve.
1: Yes. And as... As you said that, it reminded me of there were times, especially in fourth grade, because that's when a lot of the drama starts, especially among the girls. And there would be times where like a group of girls, for example, would be having issues at recess. And it was nothing that I had to dress immediately. Like they weren't actually physically fighting. It was just like they're having a scuffle. Right. Yes. Yes. And it would be one of those things where it happened on a Tuesday. I don't have the time to deal with it. So it's, hey, let's all meet for lunch bunch on Friday so we can talk this out. Friday
0: would come and they were already best yeah. friends again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. I've, I have absolutely had that situation happen. OK, so do we want to go ahead and move into chapter three? Sure. So chapter three is deep work is meaningful. Um, and there was one part that I really got and it kind of stuck with me. And there were actually just two quotes. Um, And he says, Gallagher, I think is how it pronounced. And I I don't know if the name is probably irrelevant unless you want to go and quote this person. But he says, among them is the notion that the idle mind is the devil's workshop. When you lose focus, your mind tends to fix on what could be wrong with your life Mm. instead of what's right. Yeah
1: that quote resonated with me as well. And he talked a lot about how just attention affects our quality of life because our brains construct our worldview based on what we pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I thought a lot about just positivity and negativity because I've also on my own been doing a lot of research on like negativity bias and how as human beings, as human beings, we are wired to hyper-focus on the negative because it has been a survival mechanism for so long. And that's why, Bridget, I'm sure you can relate to this with like YouTube. I'll get a 100 positive comments, yes. but I'll get one negative, and I will hyper-focus on that one negative yes. comment. And so I think it's just important to be aware of what we choose to pay attention to can have a really profound effect on our quality of life and then ultimately like our productivity levels as a part of that.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to jump too far ahead because I know one of the rules is about social media, but I will say social media does play quite a bit into this deep work is meaningful and really staying focused because the Mm -hmm. whole goal of social media is to take your focus away from whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And it distracts you, right? It's entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to keep your attention for as long as possible. But now that we've lost focus, we're starting to look at, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Oh, well, that person's doing so much better. Why am I not doing this? Why Mm -hmm. am I not good enough? Like, am I good enough? Like, you start to question everything and i think that that quote itself really hit me hard because Michelle knows i am very much an emotional creature and so i will often have these emotions of you know imposter syndrome of i'm not good enough or i'm not a great teacher or i'm not doing the best that i am able to do and it's because i'm distracted and i'm losing mm-hmm. focus of the deep work that i need to be in
1: yeah and okay. I'll, I'll, I'll wait until we get to that yeah. chapter because I have more to add there. But um, so now we're going to move into part two. This is where he outlines four rules. And I will say rule number one, which is work deeply. I have the most notes for this because it was the longest chapter. But basically, work deeply, that rule is all about finding strategies that will help you embrace focus and trying to avoid distractions mm-hmm. as much as possible. One thing he said that really resonated with me because we get asked all the time about like motivation and how do you how do you sustain it over time? And he talked about how willpower is finite. And it becomes depleted and he compared it to like a muscle that gets tired and of course that just made sense to me because i always find fitness things but i just found it interesting that it's like no, no no the goal isn't to always have the willpower to fight distractions it's more about like cultivating an environment where there are less distractions so that it's not as tempting to you
0: yeah no i completely agree with that um did you by chance highlight the study I was really interested Mm -hmm. in the study itself. So he talked about a 2012 study that was done by two psychologists that outfitted like 205 people with these little beepers. And Mm -hmm. so it would beep and then they would have to stop and pause and they would reflect on their desires and then they would have to fill out this little questionnaire. And it was every time that they beeped. The five most common desires that these (laughs) subjects included were not surprising. So they included eating, sleeping, sex, emails, social networking, surfing the web, listening to music, or watching TV. So we added a few more that were in there. But isn't that fascinating? Mine would just be food.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was the best. It's also accurate. I feel like while I'm eating a meal, I'm like, what's my next meal? But it it is interesting just to hear that and to know that like, that's what our brain wants to focus on automatically. And we literally have to train it to not do that. So... I'm gonna jump into the depth philosophies. So he outlines six different strategies and finding your depth philosophy is one of them. Mm -hmm. And he outlines four different like depth philosophies that you could potentially use, but of course you have to find what works for you personally. And Bridget, I'm curious where you fit in with it. The first two were like, go off in the woods for a week type of thing. And I was like, that's not me. But I really resonated with the rhythmic one, which is where basically those deep work sessions become part of your regular routine. So, for example, like every single morning from 8 to 11, I'm going to have a deep work session. Mm -hmm. Or I guess if you had to do it by the days of the week, so like Monday and Wednesday are my deep work days. The other one where I was like, I could see this working for me is the journalist one, which is basically where you just fit it in wherever you can, because your schedule doesn't stick to like one, you know, set time and days Mm -hmm. and all that. So for me, I have a pretty regular schedule and I'm like, I rhythmic works. I like routine. So I I can fit it in that way. But I do have a lot of times where it gets interrupted because of travel and things going on. But it was just interesting of like, maybe I just need to kind of pick one and try to stick to it as much as I can. Yeah,
0: I do think that if you were to do the journalist version, that you would need to be very skilled at jumping into deep work immediately, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because we know about, we hear about the science of how it's really hard for your brain to kind of get really focused into a task. It's like what, 20 or 25 minutes before you can really focus hard on what you're doing because your brain is constantly trying to pull you away. So if you are somebody who can, you know, at the flip of a switch, focus on something deeply enough to produce great work at the moment's notice, I think that's a really good choice for you. I I feel as though I'm more of the rhythmic person where yeah. I will need, and I'll get into this in the next podcast episode that we do, <laughs> um, but I am a person that needs to have that set time. So that I just know, okay, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna do this, and this is the time that I'm gonna focus on A, B, and C. Yeah,
1: and he did mention that that journalist philosophy is the most advanced. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to like sound conceited or like I'm tooting my own horn here, but but (laughs) I, I am very. And Bridget knows this. I'm very good at like just randomly having these like deep work sessions. Like if. As, as soon as I get started, then I'm in it. And like, I will, this is how you know, this is how you know I'm in deep work. I will forget to eat, which is not yeah. like me, but I've had moments like that where I can just jump into it. So and I, I think, found that interesting. I think
0: that deep work and having discipline go hand in hand in this. And mm-hmm. because you have built such great discipline when it comes to your work ethic and just getting things done in productivity, you're able to really perform that deep work quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I agree. <laughs> My brain is not there. Yeah. And, and
1: that's, and he does make it a point to say, you have to find what works for you. Yeah, Like for sure. one is not better than the other. It's just, you have to find the one that works. Um, the next strategy was just called ritualize. And it, again, it was part of like, make it, Mm-hmm. a part of your routine where it's literally like after I get my coffee, I go upstairs and start working. And I I do that on a daily basis. Like as soon as Billy leaves for work, I am carrying my coffee upstairs. Ember follows me up and I open up my laptop and just start working. So I don't even have to think about it.
0: Yeah, I really like the ritualized part. I think when I go from being in school to in summer mode, that is a really hard transition for me. So we talked about how like being on the paddleboard, like it's it's kind of wobbly right when I first kind of mm-hmm. jump on because I'm changing the season of life. And so it takes me a little bit to get into that routine. But I'm I think I'm finally starting to get there. <laughs> I it's agree just talking to you.
1: I feel like I'm 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 sensing improvements from you, which is Thanks. always good. Um the next strategy I don't think is overly realistic for most most. Oh my goodness. But it's an interesting concept and Bridget, you can maybe elaborate cuz you kind of did this with your book with your cousin. So it's called grand gestures mm. and it's basically where you are going to do something novel so going somewhere or like renting a hotel room um i think he used the example of like jk rowling
0: had done that yeah i really enjoyed that one because she was having too many distractions she was talking about her kids and you know oh the dogs are barking and she couldn't focus she was working on her seventh book the death deathly hollows am i saying that right Did I say that right? And so um, she was feeling the pressure and she was like, I'm going to go and get into a hotel. And so she was spending money to go to this hotel and to sit and write in just quiet and silence.
1: Yeah. But it's the idea of if you're spending money on it, you're more willing to follow through because you want to get the most out of it. And it doesn't have to be that extravagant. I was thinking for teachers, maybe, and you could do this later in the summer, set a day where you're going to go work from a coffee shop and just like get a bunch of lesson planning, like kind of your scope and sequence for the year done. But it's something novel where you're like going out of your way and you want to make sure when you leave that coffee shop, like you've gotten stuff done.
0: Yeah, for sure. I really enjoyed the trip. It was it's one of my favorite ones that I had with my cousin junior. And it was because we had spent like we spent money on a really nice place. Like we had an Airbnb, but it was gorgeous it was at the top of a mountain. It was overlooking a lake. It was just the scenery every it was in this cute little quaint town. Scenery, everything was wonderful. And it was mm-hmm. our opportunity to one just get away but also really focus in on the work that we needed to do and it and it worked. I mean, yeah. we used that time very very well because we well, we're paying a lot. <laughs> and
1: <laughs> yes, that also Brings in the next strategy. So not only grand gestures, but then don't work alone. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how like sometimes working with other people can bring out the best in you because you know other people are waiting for you. And it reminded me of when, especially at the beginning, we would like batch tasks for Teach on the Double and I would come up to your house for the weekend. And this was pre-pandemic. That shifted everything. But we would spend the weekend getting the whole next month of work done. Yep. And it also reminded me about how just in general, I think teachers need to improve their collaborative sessions. It's a great way to kind of expose yourself to ideas. But then he mentions in the book about how you have to maintain like a spoke. So if you think about like a wheel and how it all meets in the middle, Mm -hmm. that would be like your collaborative session. But then you need your own spoke to be able to go work deeply on things. And Part of it is I think teachers have to attend too many meetings where they spend too much time collaborating and they're not given time to work deeply. And that's not their fault. That's, you know, the people that schedule those. What a great way
0: to kind of think and look at that, of just how, that's such a great point of just saying how often we're thrown in to do collaborative sessions, but we don't have that time to really work. And even mm-hmm. thinking about like the grand gestures, I could see where making a grand gesture, like as a teacher, if you wanted to do some planning, you're given thing like miracle as a miracle, you're given like the entire day for just being able to work with your um your peers, right? So mm-hmm. other teachers on your grade level team. How cool would it be that everybody brought in like a crock pot something type of plates <laughs> like you're kind of spending money you're taking time to invest in this one thing that you guys are going to do and that's part of this collaborative planning where you come together but then you also find your own separate parts in that room to be yeah. able to set a timer and say we're going to all work deeply for about an hour and then we're going to come back together like how yeah. cool would that be
1: yeah and it's one of those things where you have to try it right? And mm-hmm. and I think sometimes we're like, well, that wouldn't work for me. And it's like, but have you done it? Like actually yeah. try it out and see. Um, okay. I'm going to move on to the yeah, let's do fifth it. Uh, strategy. So execute like a boss. This was all about that that gap between you know what to do, you just don't know how to do it. And I think this is something a lot of us struggle with, but he does mention having... The habit of like a weekly review and this is something I started doing after we read getting things done and I have stuck with it. It has worked wonders for me. But it's a chance to kind of reflect on what did I get done this week and what do I still have for the week moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it just I've gotten so much more done because of that.
0: Yeah. For sure. And, and the weekly review is something that I think I need to improve a little bit more on, but I can see the benefits because it kind of closes that brain. And I know he talks a lot about this a little bit later on in some of the rules about how you need to basically tell your brain that you're done with this task so that you're not constantly thinking about it. Yes. And so that weekly review acts as that right you're able to close those tasks off because they're completed you're telling your brain stop thinking about this and let's move on to what's going to be the next focus area of my focus for this upcoming week
1: Yeah. And the sixth and final strategy for this chapter kind of goes along with that. It was be lazy. And he talked about having like a very strict shutdown ritual Mm -hmm. so that you can prioritize your downtime in order to actually recharge and not think about work. This was definitely an
0: area where I'm like, I need to be better. I definitely need to be better about that because he he shares about how you don't need to have your laptop open in the middle of the night. And I'm like, oh, that's me. So I definitely have some work that I need to do. um, But I have really appreciated the book and overall just helping to see the areas where I do feel as though I'm pretty strong Mm -hmm. and the areas where I still have, you know, room for growth. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to jump into rule two? Yeah. So rule two is called embrace boredom. I really liked this one. Can I Mm -hmm. just say that when I first started reading this and we were going through it, the first thing that dawned to me was our walks.
1: Yeah. So
0: our summer walks is what really... I was able to connect with the embracing boredom. And so Cal just talks about the importance of getting away from your work and just being alone. And so he will a lot of the times talk about using nature. And mm-hmm. I really liked this example that he gave and he says the reason why you want to use nature is because you're not having to think about whatever it is that you're doing. You're just kind of walking wherever. And the And if you were in a city and you had lots of traffic, a lot of people, lots of like areas where you had to cross the road, you're thinking, you're having to Mm -hmm. really challenge and say, okay, am I able to go now or I need to get out of this person's way? And so that doesn't allow you to experience that boredom. But if you utilize nature and you just go on this walk, and he talked about all these like incredibly famous people that have like acres and acres of like wood wooded area that they can just go leisurely walk around um but if you have a time where you're able to just go out and walk and embrace that boredom, it's going to allow you to come back and really focus even more on that task. And he also mentions about how this time of embracing boredom is going to allow you to think deeply because you can process information even more and start to solve problems in a very creative way. So it's almost as if this boredom is connected to creativity.
1: Yeah. Right? He, yeah, he called it meditating productively, which resonated with me because when I hear meditation I'm like, Bleh. like I'm not a <laughs> meditate person. I have tried it. I've tried so many different ways, but this meditate productively, I was like, I can get down with this. It's basically using Periods of physical activities, so going for walks or if you're driving somewhere, right, like you are physically doing something, but your mind can kind of wander, especially if you're not driving somewhere for the Mm -hmm. first time, or even just taking a shower, you use that time to focus your attention on like a single very specific problem that you want to work through and you go through it in your brain in order to find a solution. And that's something where I'm like, I did that a lot when I was reading or not reading when I was writing my book, where I would go on walks without my AirPods, without podcast playing anything. Yes. And I would just think, and a majority of my chapter titles for my book came from walks. Like I have specific visions in my brain of where I was on the trail when I came up with that title. Yeah. Yeah which is just kind of funny to me, but something else mentioned in this chapter that we have talked about before, but we've just never called it this. He mentions what was called a Roosevelt dash. And apparently like Roosevelt did this when he was in college, but it's all about setting like artificial deadlines in order to increase your productivity. And we have talked before about how Deadlines are important, but if you set a deadline like a few days prior to when it really needs to be there, you can kind of give yourself wiggle room. So if grades are due on Friday, you're like, I'm going to have mine done by Wednesday And so now I'm going to refer to that as a Roosevelt dash. It's kind of this like you're giving yourself um, a strict time frame that should be challenging in order to get it done, but it doesn't give you too much time to like procrastinate with
0: it. Yeah. I'm going to go back to your point of the walks and just not having something in your ear. I have really started to notice that when I'm washing dishes or I go on walks or I'm doing something just very mindless. I immediately want to put my headphones in and put on Mm -hmm. like a podcast or something. And so I need to have more time where I'm just allowed to think and freely think. Um, But one of the other things that he mentioned is called the looping. Did you make note of that one as well?
1: I didn't only because that's something that I had prior, like
0: I already knew about. So I try to focus on like what is new okay, that I'm so getting from this, this book. Okay, this was kind of new for me. So it, it was on one pa- page 172. And the quote that I have is, when faced with a heart problem, your mind, as it was evolved to do, will attempt to avoid excess expenditure of energy when possible. One way it might attempt to sidestep this expenditure is by avoiding diving deeper into the problem by instead looping over and over again on what you already know about it. Mm-hmm. And that really blew my mind because yeah. I did not realize I do this a lot. Yep, yep. <laughs> so he does talk about like structuring your deep thinking. Yes. And so some of the things that he mentions is like review the variables for solving the problem. So what are those things that you need? define the specific next step question you need to answer using these va- the variables and then consolidate your gains by reviewing clearly the answer that you identified. And I like that he put this into a process, like a step process to helping you deep think deeply. And it's almost as if I wanna take that and just put it in a notes so that when mm-hmm. I'm ready to allow myself to think about some form of a problem that I have, I can open up these questions and kind of go through them.
1: Well, and I thought it was interesting when he mentioned like going for walks in nature. I think at some point he said something about like not bringing your phone, Personally, I will not have AirPods, but I will have my phone, A, for safety reasons, yeah. but B, so that when I'm having those thinking sessions, I have to be able to write things down along the way Yes, because it, that is what prevents me from looping. I struggle to hold a lot in my brain, so I have to like get it out. And so in the notes app, I'm like jotting things down mm-hmm. or using voice messages. I remember one of my walks, I was writing the introduction to my book in my head And I was worried that I was going to forget it. So I'm just like walking down the street with my voice message, just like speaking to myself so that I could play it back later and wouldn't lose it.
0: Yeah. And then the last thing that I really noted about this chapter was the memory training. I thought it was such an interesting thing to add to the end of the chapter. And I'm curious, did you try the memory training? Was this like the deck of cards? It was the deck of cards. But he talks about how you have to think about the rooms and then you want to start to think about where the objects are inside of that room. And then you want to connect those objects with something that something else. Because what he talks about is that our brain um, is not able to remember numbers or words or something to that extent but it is able to remember images so we can create images like he basically says like think about a a special time that you have chances are you can really talk about the scenery of wherever it was that of this special time and when it occurred right but you can't remember something that you specifically read unless you either highlight or take notes of it so they talk about how memory trainers will connect these with different images in order to be able to recall this information and i found that fascinating
1: yeah i had i had seen documentaries before on like memory challenges so i i knew of that strategy i did not attempt to do it myself mostly because i knew Once I started, it was going to be like, I need to do this until I get it right. And I don't have the time for that right now.
0: (laughs) I love that you recognize this about your personality because I I am not that person. And so I did it for a little bit and then I gave up.
1: (laughs) See, I would be like, I am, I will memorize this deck of cards, even if it's the last thing I do.
0: Oh, I never did the deck of cards part, but I did do the room part of it where he kind of says, try this in the room. Oh, I did that. But that was it.
1: I thought you were afraid because he challenges you to memorize Mm -hmm. a deck of Mm -hmm. cards. Mm -hmm. No, can't do the
0: deck of cards. That's not happening. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on to rule number
1: three, which is to quit social media. Now, I do want to make it clear, even though the chapter is called Quit Social Media, it's more about just... Being strategic in your choice of not only the tools you are using, so like the apps and the networking things that you are a part of, but also like when you are using them because you ultimately want the benefits of those to outweigh the negatives. And he does acknowledge like there are benefits to social media.
0: Yeah. The one piece that I really took away from this was the any benefit approach to network tool selection. Mm. And in this any benefit, he basically talks about how we look for any benefit that something might have. Well, this is going to help me with this one part. And was this the area, <clears throat> excuse me, where he talks about the farmer? Was this the chapter where he talks about the farmer and the tools in it benefiting? And yeah, with
1: the hay that the farmer needed and how some people, um, because if you have a farm, then you can make your own, you know, hay bales. Right, because you have to feed your animals. Right. And how, so they're like, well, I don't want to waste it, so I'm going to use it. But he had figured out that it was actually a lot more costly to try to make his own hay bales rather than just
0: buying them from someone else already made. Right. So the idea was, is that this farmer was basically looking at this, like, any benefit approach that most people will have to using a form of tool. In this case, it was a hay baler, which compacts hay, um, and it puts it into those like bales, right? So he looked at this tool and he said, I understand that there is a benefit to it. However, is that benefit really going to increase and help me further down the line? Like, is it kind of greater than this small idea that I'm trying to take away? And I really enjoyed that approach to to thinking about different tools because I, I kind of connected this to shopping. <laughs> so I was like, sometimes I'm like, ooh, I want that, or I want that because I'm a, a big tech nerd. And I love all the fancy new tech stuff. And so I will see things and I'm like, ooh, maybe I need that. I think I need that. And it's because I have this, well, there's some sort of a benefit approach to thinking yeah. about this tool selection, when in reality, I should really be looking at just the overall tools and how it's going to benefit my productivity in the long run.
1: Yeah, that's a really good connection. I kind of struggled, not struggled with this chapter, but... It's I think the hardest for me to take action on because so much of what we do on the business side is tied to social media. And what's interesting is as I was reading this book, I was trying to implement a lot of the strategies, which make sure you come back next week and listen to episode 185 because we are going to dive into like the best strategies that worked for us from this book and how we kind of implemented them. But I have just been more mindful and intentional about when I'm getting on social media and for what purpose. Because one of the things that resonated with me from this chapter was about how you need to make deliberate use of your time outside of work. And so making sure you are putting thought into your leisure time, because otherwise you're going to default to whatever catches your attention. So that's when you start just mindlessly scrolling on social media so instead, you need to kind of dedicate in advance, deciding how are you going to spend that non-working time. And he actually calls it like your day within a day. Yeah. So if you have a, a day of 24 hours, but you're working for, let's say, eight hours of that time, you still have 16 hours left. That is your day within a day. That is your time mm-hmm. that you get to to dedicate to You know, hobbies and passions and all that, obviously sleep is a part of that as well. But just really being mindful in advance of like, how am I going to spend that time so that you don't end up just mindlessly scrolling on social media? And that's something I need to do a better job of.
0: Yeah. So I had two other things to just note of. So the first thing is going to be the law of vital few. And so I love that he was talking about the 80-20 rule, because this is a rule that I mentioned in my own book. And it's something that I've just... Learned and gained from my experiences in the restaurant and business world, right? Yeah. And so this 80/20 rule basically says that 80% of your results are going to come from 20% of what you put into it. And so what he wants you to really think about, and because, and if you if you honestly see how much time you spend on things, social media is going to be kind of that increased component, right? But he says, if you're able to take away this low impact activity, so things like finding friends on Facebook, and instead you're able to then reinvest those into these high impact activities, Mm -hmm. like going out to lunch with a friend, you're going to end up more successful in your overall goal. And I appreciated the fact that he did not talk about work. So when he gave that example, he was talking about building relationships relationships with people. And that finding somebody on Facebook is a very superficial piece, but taking somebody out is really going to build a deeper connection. And so it's going to really take you so much farther, further in your goal. (laughs) Um, So I really liked that part of it. The one other thing that I wanted to comment is that on page 212. Here is what I wrote down. It says, What you say that full energy given to those 16 hours will lessen the value of your business eight? Not so. On the contrary, it will absurdly increase the value of your business eight. One of the chief things that many that my typical man has learned is that the mental uh, faculties are capable of a continuous hard activity. Mm. That part right there, the continuous hard activity. Did you feel like sometimes you would read and you felt like it was contradicting himself? Because there were moments in the book where he would say, you can only perform deep work for like an hour, maybe four hours at the maximum. But then he starts talking about how we're able to think hard or think deeply for way longer periods of time in other parts. Was that just me?
1: I didn't make that connection at the time. Now that you're saying that, I see what you mean. But I think maybe what he was saying is the actual deep work where you're like, you know, really thinking creatively, et cetera. He talks about how most people when they start, it may only be an hour, but you can like work up to like four hours. But I think what he was then saying is how... Even after that, because even though you're you're not able to do deep work, you're going to be more productive because you've kind of been on this like roll and right. it's that like momentum. So I think it's the idea of we will do these shallow tasks and then think we need a break when in reality, like when we work deeply, we're then in the best, you know, mode to kind of keep going and, yeah. and keep doing hard work. Okay but i could be wrong. Okay.
0: I mean there were just moments when i felt like i was reading i'm like i feel like you're contradicting yourself. But i mean that could have just been me and misreading and, you know, misinterpreting the information.
1: I'm sure there were contradictions yeah. in it though. Yeah. Um okay, so fourth and final rule and then we will both share kind of what we want to change yeah. moving forward. So the fourth rule was drain the shallows. And this was all about not necessarily eliminating shallow work, because as much as we would love to just never answer another email, that is not realistic. But instead, we want to tame the shallow work's footprint in your schedule. So basically minimizing the amount of time that you're spending on it. And one suggestion he made and this is something we have preached before on the podcast is to schedule every minute of your day because we tend to spend a lot of our time during the day just on autopilot. And so if we are not thoughtful about how we're using our time, that time can very easily like just kind of get away from us. And he talks about time blocking. And this is where, when we talk about scheduling your time, it's not about saying, well, from 5.30 to 5.34, I'm going to do this. It's like, hey, for this hour, these are the types of tasks that I am working on. And I know I did that with my like planning time is I had kind of a list of things I wanted to get done during that time. And it was very, very helpful for making sure that those kind of big, more hefty tasks actually got done. Because otherwise, if you fill your time with shallow work, there's not enough left for all of the big tasks.
0: Yeah. And so one of the other things that he does mention, because emails is going to be a common thing that we all are going to encounter when it comes to the shallow work that we have. But he calls the, he he calls this, a process centric response to emails. And so the whole idea is that when you are responding to emails, you want to respond very thoughtfully, which I don't do enough of. <laughs> I want to just be like super quick thoughts, question mark. And that what happens there is when we put things like thoughts or what are your, where, when do you want to meet? Or we keep it very short, sweet, simple we're keeping the loop open. And so Mm -hmm. that's encouraging the person to respond back. And so you have this constant conversation with people on through email. So instead you wanna have this process centric response to emails where you're being very thoughtful and you're either giving them detailed steps or you're saying here are the three times that available that I have to meet, pick one. (laughs) So that way you are essentially closing that loop and you're stopping the conversation so that you don't create more work for yourself in the future. Yeah, that resonated
1: with me. It's something I've definitely gotten much better at because I've realized that it. <laughs> there are so many benefits to making sure that I'm very clear in my yes. email. So whether it's giving like, hey, here's three times what works best for you. But another way I have used this and it just goes to show where it's like if you put in the work, not everyone else will. There are a lot of people who will reach out to me with a very generic question. So recently I had someone who's like, hey, I need help starting a business. And I'm like, okay, Okay. like you got to give me me more. (laughs) So I responded and I was like, you know, I'm I'm happy to offer some feedback, but I need some specific questions that you have about areas. And I kind of gave some examples. I'm like marketing, getting clients, et cetera. And then they never responded because like they just wanted me to do the work and give them all the advice. And it's like, no, no, no. You need to put in the work and let me know what specific questions you have so that I can help you. My final little funny, ironic thing that happened in this chapter, there is a heading in this chapter called finish your work by 530. Yes, I have
0: that down too.
1: Yeah. And it was all about having this like fixed schedule. And so if you know that you have to be done by 530, you're going to get more done. I kid you not, Bridget. I had just finished the like paragraph right before that, Mm -hmm. and I was about to start reading it. Billy walks in the door, so I'm like, "Oh, I need to like pause reading." Yeah. I look at the at the time; it was five (gasps) thirty one. Like, I kid you not, it was so spooky. And did I finish working? No, because I was almost (laughs) at the end of the book, and I wanted to get it done, so I did not follow that rule. But it was spooky.
0: Yeah. And I loved how (laughs) I was finishing up my notes for this. And it was 830 at night when I was doing it. I was like, well, I am not sticking to the 530 rule here. (laughs) 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 Okay. So now what we're going to do is we're going to share some things that we would like moving forward for each of us individually. So when I was reading this book, um, there were A lot of moments when I was able to make connections for what I was currently doing. And then I wanted to just find ways to really optimize my productivity in general. So here are the things that I would find myself doing just not consistently enough. So this is what I need to focus on. Putting my phone away when I'm in that process of deep work isolating myself from others, super important for me, (laughs) Um, going on walks more often. And it was interesting because I have been doing a few walks in the mornings and they really benefit me just in general for my health, my, you know, my mental health, my productivity, like all of it. Um, And then just being bored. And so the like sitting outside, going to the river, looking, not having my phone on me all the time. Those are the areas where I do it. Sometimes I'm just not consistent enough with it. So I need to stick with it a little bit more. Here are things that I really want to improve on. Um, creating consistent routines for those deep work. So I'm starting to look at waking up between 5.30 and 7, 5.30. So today was, was a little bit later. I'm sorry, I, I was super tired. So I didn't actually get going until 5.45 with my deep work. But keeping that time from 5.30 to 7.30 for deep work. And the reason for that for me is because I have a family that are home all the time. And so there was a day where I was trying to work and Blaine was sitting there, mom, you're not gonna believe, mom, did you see that? I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot focus for the love of me. So the morning times are best. Creating that separation from work, so really looking to stop work at 5.30 and not opening that work computer back up is something I wanna do. Blocking out time even after my work day. So even scheduling and blocking, time blocking my my, um, independent time, right? When I'm not working responding to emails, and then quitting social media, but not in the sense of like quitting it for good, but more so just being more intentional with the way that I use it.
1: Yeah, a lot of mine are kind of on the same page. I do think in reflection, my ability to perform deep work, I would say, is probably above average, but I did still see a lot of areas that can be improved. So first, I think I want to really like stick to a specific depth philosophy. So I think moving forward, it's going to be that rhythmic, but knowing that I may have to rely on that journalist style mm-hmm. when I have hectic times with travel and whatnot. I think I want to try one of those grand gestures because I've never yeah. done that
0: and it just sounds like fun. <laughs>
1: so I don't so know, maybe like a,
0: like a grand gesture day.
1: Oh, like what we both do. Yeah. It, do says it work.
0: don't work alone. It's part of it. Oh,
1: <laughs> well, hold on. I want an alone one first oh, before doing a together one. I see. I'm joking. Um, because I would argue, I mean, the grand gesture thing, I kind of was doing that when I would like travel to yeah. you. And for example, like when I had to fly back east for the teacher on the double live event, like that kind of was a similar situation. But I want to try like a, a think weekend of literally me, yeah. like in a, you know, a hotel cabin, something, um, He talked about having a scoreboard for your deep work sessions because he mentioned people play differently when they're keeping score. And Mm -hmm. so it's this idea of like, don't break the chain. I feel like I would do really well with that because my competitiveness would take over. I also want to have a very strict shutdown ritual and stick to it because that is not something that I am good at. I want to view being bored as like concentration training. So having those moments where I want to put on a podcast or a video, but choosing not to, whether it's I'm waiting for something, I'm in line at the store, I'm at home doing dishes and instead using that time to really think. I want to spend more time meditating productively, yes. so especially on walks and showering, making sure that I'm not like playing music or podcasts. And then while I'm driving, I will say on the way to the gym, I have to either blast music to get myself in the zone or listen to like a powerlifting podcast, but on the way home, I can, you know, yeah. meditate productively. Love it. <laughs> I want to put more thought into my leisure time. And Billy struggles with this with me because he doesn't want a plan and I always want to plan for everything. And so I don't know, maybe trying to like find that middle ground, that's going to be tricky, yeah. but I believe in myself. Um, I want to make sure that I'm relying on that time blocking more and then using a sender filter for email. So this was that whole, like having the people who send you yes. an email have to do more of the work. And so, for example, if someone's going to reach out to me for help on something, making sure I have a response where it's like, okay, I need this information from you. And then I wanted to read one final quote because this was at the very end of the book and I was like, this is the perfect summary and I think it's a good way to end this episode. So Cal Newport says, The deep life, of course, is not for everybody. It requires hard work and drastic changes to your habits. For many, there's a comfort in the artificial busyness of rapid email messaging and social media posturing, while the deep life demands that you leave much of that behind. There's also an uneasiness that surrounds any effort to produce the best things you're capable of producing, as this forces you to confront the possibility that your best is not yet that good oh that is such a
0: good quote that is a good that is a good (laughs) quote i love that one you should put that in your quote book I should. It's lengthy. I know. Okay, guys. We know that this was a very lengthy podcast. Typically, when we do our book reviews, these end up being about an hour long. So, thank you so much for sticking with us. If you are here at the very end of this, if you want to grab your own copy of Deep Work, we will have it linked down in the show notes for you. And if you have any book recommendations for us to read for the future book reviews, please reach out to us through email at teaching on the double double at gmail.com or you can send us a message on our personal Instagram account, so at The Lettered Classroom or um, at Pocketful of Primary. We would love for you to take a little bit of time to check out our website and submit your time sucking hurdle. We really do look at these to help us kind of get an idea of what are your needs as our listeners for these podcast episodes. So you can head over there and click on that and get that submitted. We would also like for you to subscribe to the podcast so that you can get notified when we drop a new episode, which is on Thursday mornings. And make sure to leave us a review if you are listening on iTunes. It really does help us get into the ears of so many other teachers. We read them. And we like to take in your feedback. So until next time, be timely, stay organized, and be productive. Bye-bye. See ya.